Hey, everybody. Long time no see, but um, Tao and I thought it would be really fitting to do this recording given the current astro weather. For those of you who are coming out of Libra fever, if you haven't heard, it is now the first day of Scorpio season. Um, that means the sun is no longer busted. And it's very fitting for the topic we have to discuss today. So it's nice to be back. Um, welcome back, Tao. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like it's been, I guess it has been ages since we recorded the Mars episode. But as you said, I think it was timely. And I know both of us have been busy. And before we started recording this, we already began talking about the current astro weather and um, as Mo's notes say, this is the most intense astrology of the year. <laughs> um, and uh, some of it began yesterday with the Venus Kazemi that um, began in 29 degrees Libra, but actually like then continued into um, Scorpio today. Right. Or was that yesterday? Yeah. Today. No, today. It's still okay. it's still on. I don't think it separates until maybe later today or early tomorrow. So mm. they're still like within that 17 arc minutes range yeah. right now. How how was the Kazemi for you? Um, so I'm going to be that person and be like, look, I will take busted Venus with triplicity in a house that's operative for my ascendant over mm -hmm. dignified, like Venus without triplicity. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like the shift to Scorpio felt a lot nicer and lighter this morning. Um, and a conversation I was having, like I, I, I could see the moment where like, it shifted after like Venus had dipped into Scorpio. And so I'm personally happy right now. I know it's like not ideal, but the way I felt about the Kazemi and Venus was that it kind of was giving you sort of this like clarity about, you know, what it is that you desire, how you want to relate to people, um, you know, what's worth striving for. And you know, it was funny. Like I actually saw a tweet this morning about a woman saying that she really enjoyed um, having coffee with her husband and talking for hours in the morning. And then all of a sudden, you know, now that Venus is in tropical Scorpio, it's like a bunch of people are just like kind of bitter that she's having that experience. Cause they're like, do you work? And I'm just sitting here like, she's just conveying love for her husband. And you guys are just like, you're a privileged one percenter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> It was very, oh, it was no. very loud. And so no. just like, it what? makes me really glad. It makes me really glad that um, you, you probably saw my tweet, but I tweeted before that ingress. So like early yesterday, or maybe it was even the day before when Venus was still in Libra that like, I'm so in love and wish this for everyone. And I've gotten yeah. like mostly positive replies. <laughs> it makes me glad. Yeah. I think, I think, you know what I mean? I think that like, it's funny because I think the person actually tweeted it yesterday, but like people are having so much like discourse about it today. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're starting your Sunday morning being bitter about somebody else actually liking their spouse, especially when it's normative to dislike your spouse, especially if you are in like a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. So I'm like, 
this is very Scorpio Venus bullshit. Like I can't. It's too loud. <laughs> oh my god. I I yeah, I wonder if the, I'll continue to get replies on that tweet and if they start shifting toward being like um, like because the couple of negative negative ones I got were people who were like, I was in love once, I would never wish this on myself again. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, guys, if you want to, like, be sad about love, which I think, you know, heartbreak is kind of like a bittersweet emotion because it's something that's, like, universal that everyone can relate to. It's like, go listen to fucking Back to Black by Amy Winehouse or, like, go listen to Adele. Like, they're outlets for this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is so Venus and Scorpio, too, or just like mm -hmm. a lot of the Scorpio archetype, but especially Venus and Scorpio. It's very loud. Yeah. And I think it's funny that Saturn is also stationing. Um, I don't know if it's stationed yet, but it's stationing like direct today, which is also very loud. So this is the beginning of, you know, Aquarius's final like death march through, sorry, Saturn's final death march through Aquarius. So you better take the best of domiciled Saturn because we are not getting optimal Saturn goes into Libra in 2040. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, I'm glad in the meantime that Saturn won't be doing this square dance with Uranus <laughs> anymore. Um, you know, I know a lot of the astrology of this month was Saturn um, making that approach again, but it actually never goes exact. And because Saturn stations just in time to just, um, you know, head the other direction. Thank God. Yes. The thing is, for a while, they were partile, so they were in the same degree, um, and they were 37 arc minutes apart. So, like, even though even though um, they never perfected, that energy was a lot closer than maybe the square that happened last year, like yeah. the last square when one or both planets was retrograde, because I think there were, like, three degrees between them or something. So it was, like, wide, whereas this was, like, this is as close as they're going to get. Yeah. ever again um and i think it's what's interesting is that at least if you've been following the ongoing conflict in ukraine you've seen like a lot of the issues with energy and so something that i thought about was the connection with both um uranus and saturn with energy so saturn having to do with the raw materials that you're extracting so i think of that oil which needs to be refined. And then I just think of, you know, power grids and electricity and things like that with Uranus. Uh, I do remember when that was square was happening. I want to say it was like last month, not this month, but there was a time in California where it was so hot that like the, everybody was told to turn off their ACs or something crazy. Like, and they were having power grid issues. They're yeah. like, hey, there are too many of you like needing AC right now. We need yeah. to conserve energy. Like that was wild. <laughs> yeah, I know we were going to say this in the announcements and we will again, but I think it's um, worth mentioning now that we did a Kazemi Khan talk mm -hmm. yesterday that is still accessible on Twitter. Uh, and Mo does a really, really great job talking about the Venus star points through the decans and how that um, applies to mundane astrology. And this is one of the things that you discussed. And 
as you were talking, one of the things I'd observed too was, you know, we're currently, well, actually, never mind. Let me take that. The, the, the previous Venus star point, because we just had this Venus Kazemi that started in Libra, but the one that happened earlier this year was in Capricorn. And, um, you know, as you're talking about like the energy and the climate crisis, um, when I look back at the last time this had happened in 2014, and then the one again, I think in 2006, I just think about a lot of just how much government spending had been put into the military industrial complex. And not that that's going to go away anytime mm -hmm. soon, but this year really was like, I don't think people realize how significant it was that so much money got approved to be put um, toward infrastructure changes that like mm -hmm. directly address climate change, like battery mining, like money for battery mining, money to put more electrical um, charge stations for EVs and all that kind of thing. So be interesting though. Yes. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I know that um, part of the issue with Russia is not just the oil. So a lot of people focus on that because yes, the majority of European countries do depend on Russian oil amongst other people in, you know, the Eurasian subcontinent, if you will. Um, but What's interesting is that there are certain um, minerals that are mined in Russia that are critical for the um, production of some of these batteries or some of these parts for electronics, and that could become a big deal. And I think aluminum, like aluminum, is one of them, um, but there are some other ones like cobalt, I think, and stuff like that. And so, if you have this um, geopolitical tension, I think that. Um, this creates problems long-term. Um, something we saw not necessarily tied to that star point in particular, but because everything between January and basically now was living under, that would be the prenatal star point for every person and event like that happened between then. It's interesting that we had that, um, you know, the microchip or the superconductor chip crisis that might come out of any tension we have with China. And so you've mm -hmm. seen in the news, you know, the chip, what is it like the chip act or like, yeah, the it's like good for science, science chips yeah. and science act. And um, how it's funny how during that Mars Uranus conjunction with Rahu, um, Nancy Pelosi, who actually has her natal Uranus in those degrees, by the way, <laughs> went to Taiwan and, um, you know, I was talking to people there and of course, like all this news comes out, scammer person calling me, but um, yeah. So I, I think it's interesting because even though that configuration was not necessarily the star point, the star point took place at what, 18 degrees Capricorn and that um, conjunction of those three entities was at 18 Taurus. So it was trying all of that. So I don't know. It's just things to think about. <laughs> Oh, so much. I mean, I could go on and on about this stuff, and maybe we will in a future episode. Yeah. Um, but just even just to kind of round up, like what else? There, the astrology is just a lot, and I think it is worth a, like a kind of a long intro um, for because we just talked about Saturn stationing direct, and then we have this solar eclipse in Scorpio mm -hmm. on the twenty fifth on Mars's day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this one. And, you know, the eclipses usually come in pairs like this one. So there's gonna be another one on the eighth as well in Taurus. Mm -hmm. But thoughts on this first one? Mm, 
so all I'm going to say is I don't see enough people talking about the fact that the eclipse is at the moon's maximum fall. Like, and mm-hmm. that is pretty fucking loud. Um, so it's like the peak of the moon's debilitation in Scorpio. And it makes sense that it's in the first decan of Scorpio, which is called the jawbone. There's an immense like hunger, right? Because I find those first decans of water signs are about mm, levels of nurturance or um, feeling like you have something. It's like how nurtured or sustained am I? And you find that compared to the Cancer Deccan, I would say the Scorpio Deccan more so than the Pisces Deccan, but there's this element of lacking that is emphasized, especially here in this part of the Zodiac. And I find it also telling that Venus, the planet of things we desire, is also debilitated in Scorpio as well. Um, And so just having Venus caught up in this eclipse, trying to emerge from the beams and having the moon at max fall, I think it's really um, loud. And I feel like something about the eclipse will bring up themes of like intense like lacking or hunger for something and i can't help but wonder if um something i've seen in the news is um you know like over the last few weeks various countries around the world have struggled with flooding i think most recently nigeria has had like a bout of flooding that has really destroyed a lot of farmland Mm -hmm. Um, on top of that you have this ongoing crisis between russia and ukraine causing food instability especially for people in the global south who are really dependent on those um exports and then something that i was talking about with various people in twitter spaces over the weekend is how um a lot of people are really feeling the pinch of inflation and how food insecurity regardless of whether you live in the global north or global south has become a huge problem for everybody and so i feel like there's some event that's probably going to trigger a lot of that and cause a lot of problems unfortunately um but i do think that on the flip side in your personal lives i think that that scorpio eclipse will be good for going after something you really want but obviously sometimes to get what you want you have to deprive yourself of distractions so yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, on that note, I was telling Mo that I'm pretty sure this eclipse is because um, it's it's on a Tuesday and then I have a powerlifting meet on the following the coming Saturday. So just a few days after. And um, with that Venus there being there too, like ruling both my first house, and my sixth house, like this has been the worst meat prep I've ever done in my life. Like everything's going wrong. Like I just really hit this like fuck it point And I I, I, I'm still going to do it. And I think that's what the eclipse is. It's just not quitting. Yeah. Just still moving forward with this crazy Look, meet. If it makes you feel better, I have to actually like write the rest of my thesis instead of dragging my feet so I can move on from this situation I'm in. And um, on top of that, what's funny is that my progressed lunar return goes exact like the day after the fucking eclipse. In my 10th, yeah. mind you. So I'm like... <laughs> okay well i guess like we're really like rounding this out and it's like got done is good even at the expense of my well-being type energy so there is that um i would say watch for overexertion as well because again it's it's a lot (laughs) and this this eclipse is ruled by this mars that's stationing Mm -hmm. in gemini and will station retrograde um on october 30th so it's just about Mm -hmm. five days after the eclipse so the good news is that 
you know, at the end of the week, um, Jupiter does dip back into Pisces. So it's in that square relationship, that overcoming square relationship with um, Mars. So I think that, you know, with um, Jupiter being in that double Mars deck in the Pisces, wanting you to make like an important sacrifice for something you really want. Um, and, you know, being empowered to do it, I think is good, but it also reinforces this need for you to make that you know, Mars and Gemini choice. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I like Jupiter and Aries a lot. Like it is my um, Jupiter return too, personally, but I am glad to see it regressing into Pisces at around this time. It'll be training all that Scorpio. I think, mm-hmm. I think it'll be nice. Yeah. And it'll actually allow, um, you know, uh, all the stuff in Scorpio and all the stuff in Gemini to have like a relationship, especially as those planets in Scorpio start to move towards the later degrees, which will be really helpful for integrating those parts of your life because they can't really see each other. But you know, it's even more comical that Mercury sneakily dips into Scorpio, (laughs) like right (laughs) before Mars goes retrograde. So they have this like sort of mutual reception thing going on, even if they can't see each other. So I think that that's also pretty loud. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else you want to say on the current astro weather? Should we go into announcements? Um, I just want to wish everyone the best of luck dealing with the astrology this week. Um, I know like when difficult transits come up, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, but if you survive 2020, I think we'll get through this. So good luck to everyone. Yeah. I think that's some good encouragement. I think if it's any solace, I think a lot of people are going through it. Like I was telling Mo about just like the number of people who called me this week with some of the craziest stories. Obviously I won't divulge all of them, but I will share that one of my friends is a high school teacher who has been dealing with just, you know, the typical chronic understaffing at a school and just like getting no support and all of her co-teachers like not, um, coming constantly calling in sick and not blaming the coworkers, but saying like, she basically emailed the district and said like, look, you need to compensate me for this time. And they did it. (laughs) Which is, yeah, which I, I, I mean, it was a huge long shot, but she fucking got it. And I think a lot of it was because she asked for it. So I'm just thinking of how many teachers out there are going through the same thing and not speaking up. Oh, you know what now? Okay. Eclipse and Scorpio um stuff moving into scorpio plus this mars and with jupiter like giving those things a relationship closed mouths don't get fed yeah get yours yes (laughs) get yours (laughs) get yours all right announcements do you want to talk about kazimicon kazimicon was great um thanks to you know the organizers for you know just taking a chance and like putting this like long shot idea together and just allowing it to come together it was a beautiful experience um i wish i could attend all of the talks but thank god they're recorded and they will be on youtube as well as uh shared to their twitter page i believe and um it was just nice to attend the talks that i got to attend um we had the privilege of giving a talk about you know venus star points through the decans which i think should be like one of our next series after we're done with the joys to be honest because like there's so much there and yeah but that's the last thing we did together so that's available on twitter um do you have any other announcements before i share 
my announcements? Um, no, just real quick on that point. Yes, I, I am just super, super grateful for everyone who either spoke or organized it or both. It, it is a lot of work. And I don't think that should be slept on, even though it was an online only conference, like the, it still work to put this stuff in. So I really, really appreciate it. And I'm also, I too, am also really happy that these are recorded and um yeah i think in terms of just like where my brain was going at for future topics like yes definitely that but it got me just thinking more about all these other synodic cycles too and just Mm -hmm. um really really tracking them not just through sign but through decans as well yeah no i'm with you there um like for one one that's interesting to me is the synodic cycle of mercury just because you'll see that um there's that elemental emphasis for like a year and a half or so or like two years so that is like a whole thing we could do um but yeah um as for other announcements if you haven't heard i'm speaking at norwak next year so be there or be square um what are you speaking on davison charts Yes. So I'm really excited. I feel like doing relational astrology is fun. Like I want to figure out a way to, you know, talk more about it because I think getting intentional about relationships is really key. Um, And I feel like a lot of the ways in which astrology is used for relating to people is not constructive from what I've seen. So I'm hoping to add some of what I've seen just looking at chart examples um, can be helpful. Also, uh, myself and Anak, who is Stars and Sense on Twitter, are teaching another class on Davidson Charts, hopefully to give more of that workbook element so that you can understand interpretation and less like the predictive piece, um, which I feel like we emphasized in our first workshop. So please buy recordings to that um because if you can't afford to like spend hella money to go to norwak it i mean it's nice to get this because i think with the norwak talk i want to cover the range while with this i really want to go deep in you know what i mean so just consider when's the class so we actually scheduled the class for um, the Kazemi, but KazemiCon was happening and then other mm-hmm. stuff came up and honestly not enough people signed up probably because one, recession is hitting and two, like there's just a lot going on. So we decided instead like let's just wait for enough people to sign up so that we can like drop the class, but we're going to record it at some point, hopefully in the next like month and get that to be available for everybody. So oh, man. I gotta sign up for that because I I need to learn about the Davison and <laughs> now I'm personally invested because I have a relationship now with right. a, and, and with a confirmed birth time for my partner. Yeah, and like you can use it to like really see the narrative behind the relationship and like patterns that you can like work through. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's a good tool, I think. Um yeah. yeah. Great. You got a lot of good stuff going on. 
Um, I don't have any more announcements. I mean, it's it's the same with me. I was like, I, I said this at KazemiCon, but my roommate was commenting yesterday about how I go so hard on my hobbies because I was telling her that I was speaking at KazemiCon, and she's right. Like, I absolutely do go very hard on my hobbies, but my thing right now is, like, I've been mostly going hard on powerlifting, which means astrology has been taking a step back a little bit, but maybe that'll change after this meet's over. Listen, you just have to, like, start getting birth times from other powerlifters and just, like, I don't know. Combine the two (laughs) topics. Yeah, because that could be fun. Actually, it would be very... Yeah, that is... that that's a good idea. I really should start collecting those times. I do have a few already, and um, one topic I've just constantly been curious about, but I've never actually like put any work into is how it, whether it's is it the transit or is it the moon or different kinds of cycles that um, you could use to just like predict like you know how your energy levels are just like how your lifts are going to go. So. Yes, that's that's key, and I think you can use it to like hack for just everything yeah um yeah but no that'd be really cool um but yeah like i think with that we can get into you know the sun's joy and how wonderful that we're doing this on the sun's day (laughs) yes yes oh man yeah when with people who have the sun and it's joy all of these people will be day charts because that the sun will be in the ninth house and therefore above the horizon so that is a fun fact that i think folks should keep in mind and i think that also signals the shift in even just this episode series all the planets that we've talked about so far with the exception of mercury um which is neither diurnal nocturnal just depends on its placement anyway all the other planets we've gone over so far have been nocturnal and therefore joy um their joy is in a house that's at the bottom half of the chart and so now um, the signals are transition into the diurnal planets. And um, what a better way to, than to start with the sun and its joy in the ninth house. Um, so, you know, the ninth house is a cadent house, and, but the ninth house has been called the good cadent house because it's high, one, because it's high up in the chart. Um, and two, because of its superior trine to the ascendant. So, um, yes, it's cadent, but it's also considered like, I don't know, a good, good cadent. Yes. Um, something that I also think about is, you know, the time of day when the sun would be considered to be in like that ninth house position. And it's that time where you're not quite at the golden hour, which is like, I would say more of that transition into the eighth house, but, um, it's like the sun is not like at the highest point necessary okay like yeah like there are five different definitions of midheaven i'm kind of being hyperbolic but when you think of the sun at high noon right like when it's at the highest point in the sky it's like really hot especially during the hotter times of the year regardless of where you live on earth like in the middle of the day the sun is fucking hot and you don't want to be out and it's a lot but there's something about you know the sun like coming out of that like peak but like being warm in that more constructive way that I feel is very much captured with that ninth house energy. So it's that part of the day where the sun is no longer at, you know, high noon at its peak brightness, but it's like still warm enough for you to enjoy. And it's like light enough to do things. So it's like that, you know, middle of the after, 
you know, middle, like late afternoon type stuff, like before you get yeah. into like the evening. So yeah. uh, that's what I think about. I, I agree with that. And I highly encourage anyone listening to this, if you've just never done it before, just, you know, if you have some kind of astrology software, um, like I, my, my biggest one really even is like Time Nomad on iOS, like it's on my phone, it's free. And like, look like at the chart for the moment and look at where the sun is, like what house it is, and then go outside and observe for yourself, like where the sun is across the houses during the day. And Mo's absolutely right. Like that high noon sun, like, I mean, you don't even need to go outside to know that that's like the hottest. Um, the sun is like, no one really wants to be out during that time. And, but it does get better, like more toward that late afternoon time. And even the 12th house sun is like, also, I, I I used to do walks in the morning. And if I like, woke up a little bit too late in the morning, like when that sun was in the 12th house, it's just like blinding because it's like, it's like in your face, like as you're walking, um, if you're like, if you're walking in that direction. Um, so um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good practice to have this FYI talks. Yeah, totally. Um, so like, I love all these notes you put in here about the ninth house. And it's, um, you know, it's like meanings or like the so I like that you have that the ninth house is Theos, which has to do with mm -hmm. God, deity and the divine. So mm -hmm. I think we should like mm -hmm. unpack that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, theos, um, just for folks to know, it's the root of the word theism, which you don't hear it much anymore. But what you, the word you do hear often now is atheism. So theism is the belief in at least one God, whereas atheism is the belief in or uh, no belief in any God. And um, also the root word for theology, which is the study of God or religion. And um, yeah, I think... Um, we, it's going to be really difficult to talk about the ninth house without also talking it about like it in comparison with the third house, which we already did an episode on. And that the third house is Thea, which is goddess. And um, I think in, the ter in terms of like what the difference is between Theo and Thea, if you go back to our third house episode like there it was actually a ancient greek goddess named theo whereas um to my knowledge there is not a god named theo but um rather theo was or theos was meant to encompass um just gods in general um and then when you think about the ancient gods of the sun there's just so many in the ancient pantheon, whether you're looking at like Babylonian, um, Hindu, Egyptian, <laughs> Greek, Roman, but um, one of the main, the, but a lot of the main ones, um, it is really interesting that they have, that, that there's always going to be some relationship with the moon deity as well, usually a sibling relationship. Like, for example, we mentioned in the third house episode that the moon goddess in Greek, in ancient Greece, was um, Selene, and her brother was Helios, who is the mm -hmm. sun god. Um, Apollo is another like Greek Roman, Greco Roman god of the sun, and his twin sister is Artemis, goddess of the moon. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's usually even even the Egyptian god Ra is the father of Hathor, who has associations with the moon. So. Um, 
again, I think, and I think this is going to play out a lot, even when we're just talking about, as we're talking about the ninth house and its significations, um, that comparison with the third house is just going to be there. Yeah. Like reflecting on the solely lunar relationship and the, in like the connotations that has for, you know, just rituals and, um, I guess a lot of like spiritual and religious practice, because if you think about a lot of, um, holy calendars so like most notably in judaism a lot of the festivals are tied to the lunar cycle right um and just thinking about that solely lunar relationship i think it's just interesting when you compare and contrast like the ninth house versus the third um and the sun Mm -hmm. versus the moon because you know the sun is like just also thinking about that spirit versus flesh dichotomy because the moon being changeable and having cycles just like everything on earth is reflective of you know life and people and embodiment whereas the sun is just this constant like um source of light that never seems to run out but it's also the source of i mean just on a scientific level you know a lot of those things that are able to photosynthesize are literally converting energy gained from the light of the sun and that Mm -hmm. forms the whole basis of the bottom of the food chain which allows the rest of us who don't exclusively eat plants to you know, do all of the biological processes that we need to do to live. So like, I think this, um, that whole conversion of like spirit to matter or like the intangible energy to matter is like kind of captured in like the sun and its function. And it makes sense that a lot of um, religions or ancient gods had at least a sun, a solar like deity. Yes, and that deity also being a very principal, if not the most important deity. And we, you know, on your points about, um, you know, the moon's association with fortune versus the sun's association with spirit, that was another thing we covered a lot in our uh, moon episode. And um, yeah, I really like how you put it, where I think when we talked a lot about the moon in that episode, we talked so much about the materiality and the physicality associated with the moon, whereas the sun, again, it's associated with spirit, which is sometimes referred to as fate. Um, It's like more of like this like abstract reality. So even when you're looking at the differences between the lot of spirit versus the lot of fortune, um, the lot of fortune has that association with the moon, whereas the lot of spirit has that association with the sun and um you know it's why career tends to be more associated with a lot a lot of spirit versus a lot of fortune because um you know your your career path is mostly driven by you like it's like your self will and determination like have that you have to make kind of those moves and actions to move it forward um but that's also not to say like even in ancient times like folk they, they talked about the lot of spirit as like the will of the individual but also the will of the gods um, that there are also these forces out of our control. Again, that kind of that abstract reality shaping our fate. Yeah, um, for sure. And just because of this abstract thing, I also think about the immortalization and deification of topics that live in the ninth house. And I think it's funny that um, in the Vedic tradition, it's the ninth house that's associated with massive fame, just because it's that. I think in the Vedic system, there's more of an emphasis on trinal houses, whereas like, it's like that positive sort of um, spiritual um, karma, if you will. It's like, what are the fruits of, you know, dharma and right action that like, Mm. 
are positively beneficial for you as a person. And I think that, you know, with a lot of our chart examples, you'll see this like deification or um, legend like status that a lot of people, even if the sun is not necessarily, you know, having good dignity, it's this joy that like brings this sort of um, legendary status to some of the people who um, have placements there. Um, And I think that kind of ties in well with the association of the ninth house with like kings and um, people who have influence on culture and thought and ideas because the ideas that um, the things that are captured by our thoughts, our beliefs, our customs um, are the things that outlive bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's telling to um, me how the ninth house, like when you compare it to the third, which is the practice, and I would say like you juxtapose the written tradition that's passed down and like maintained through um, institution is very ninth house, whereas the third house I feel is more of that folk practical, which sometimes gets lost if you lose that connection, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Mo and I were talking, I mean, we'll go into our examples later, but we were talking about how this, it was very easy to find examples for famous people who have sun in the ninth, because again, I do think it does bring like that fame, that legendary status. Um, but before we jump into that, let's talk about just some of these ninth house meanings, which we've already talked a little bit about, but um to quickly run through them and then we'll dive into each one like religion faith divination like that those are some ninth house significations so are so is the law leaders oaths systems structures civil society long distance travel is like another ninth house signification and then higher knowledge or higher education is another big one as well and you know even as i was writing out these notes i was just seeing like it's hard to even talk about them one by one because there's just so much overlap even between these, like even starting with um, religion, faith and divination. I just, um, you were talking earlier about the, just the deification of rulers and, um, but, that, but there's that with religious leaders as well. Like the Pope, um, I do have at least one Pope example um, later on, but um, yeah, with, with the as you were saying, like with the ninth house, um, like when it comes to religion, faith, and divination, I do think that we and we talk about this in the third house episode as well. Um, I think it does cover more of like those doctrines, the in- institutions, sometimes the literal structure of like the church or temple or mosque, um, the clergy people as well who um, uphold these traditions and make sure that they get passed down either in written word or otherwise. I do think that tends to be um, more ninth house versus the third house of like, like you said, some of these daily practices that don't necessarily get passed down in that way. Um, another topic we covered heavily in the last one in the third house episode is divination via dreams. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on the fence on whether, I mean, I could, I, I don't know exactly how like divination definitely is in the ninth house too. Um, but I, you know, I know the third house is so associated with dreams specifically just because of the moon's association with dreams. Right. No, I, I I'm with you there. And um, I think that, I think that ninth house divination is more um, not to say that the third house can't, 
again, I like the way I dichotomize the third ninth house is very much that practical lived experience through like constant exposure versus mm -hmm. like the theoretical abstract, which is very ninth house. And I feel like astrology, like I would put astrology there, whereas like certain like folk traditions that get passed down are more third house, especially when it comes to divination. So something like reading tea leaves or like, um, Something that involves like dealing with things around you that you use every day feels mm. more like that. Dreams, I feel like could be both. It, it depends on like how you're approaching it though. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's really hard to say, you know? It's, yeah. Um, you know, as I I'd said earlier, the ninth house makes a superior trying to the ascendant, which is why it's considered like a good cadent house. And I do think it's worth noting that it like this first house, ninth house, fifth house trine, you know, allegedly God made us in our in his image or in their image. Right. And so and then, um, you know, we make children in our image. And that's some of the explanation that had been given in the past as to why what that like trine relationship is between the first, the ninth or fifth and the ninth. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, faith falls in here as well. And, you know, I think there is just this lived reality that none of us will ever see and know everything. And that's where faith comes in. And one of the archetypes of the sun is this all seeing, this all knowing, this omniscience and this omnipresence that we mm -hmm. as human beings are never, ever going to get. And I do think that is why a lot of people, um, you know, have spiritual practices or beliefs um, or follow certain religions is um, to have faith in some of that part of life that we ever, we won't ever really, really fully know. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And like, I know people want to associate um, Jupiter with the ninth house because of the natural house associations, which I understand. But like, I think that something about the association of the sun with the ninth and just the visibility and the fact that, you know, the sun has its constant motion. We see it rise in the East and set in the West every day. There's this consistency and this emphasis on sight and making things become visible that I feel like is key to faith, like seeing something in action that is um, so critical to the function of, most things is like a key driver of faith that that's just my opinion because sometimes like with certain ninth houses more than others i think there's this emphasis on if i can see it i'll i believe it right oh yeah <laughs> and obviously there are different kinds of sight and levels to seeing which is interesting when you think about the placement of like malefics in the ninth for example versus having benefics like i remember having this discussion with people the other day and i was saying i feel like people who have malefics in the ninth especially if it's the out of sect malefic are less likely to take things as a given and they're more likely to question things whereas people who have um more benefic planets i mean i still stand by the sun being a malefic but because it's also a luminary and it does well here it's like i am the light it's like i am the sun right i like i'm <laughs> the projector of what is you know culturally relevant knowable this that and the third right whereas yeah. benefics here maybe want to look for comfort in what is knowable and maybe don't necessarily want to 
subvert or question things. Yeah, like <laughs> thinking about the sun as a uh, as malefic got me thinking about just the other another signification of the ninth house is law, order, oaths, systems, structure, civil society, and you know, for those of you who haven't read Alice Sparkly Cat's Postcolonial Astrology, please do. Um, like I love it, and I love that one of their points is that the sun illuminates and this is often presented as a good thing. You see this archetype over and over again in different religions, beliefs, parables, everything about like light makes everything better, right? Cause it illuminates, it like helps you see everything, um, you know, as opposed to darkness. But um, they point out that illumination could also be surveillance. Like it could be this like panopticon type power structure where um, being constantly seen isn't, necessarily like a good thing and that more and more um especially in like in modern society there's just so much um around just surveillance and um our you know privacy laws and all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. um but yeah the, the the ninth house is the law um like we had mentioned earlier like it's it's no surprise that um, there are a lot of like pretty much every culture had had some some sort of sun god at the time. And then I also think it's very fascinating that rulers, especially in Western society, but in other societies as well, like have deified their, their um, kings. And it, there's often sun associations with that, like Ankhenaten from Egypt, um, who like, you know, self-deemed himself as like the sun mm-hmm. god. And Louis the Fourteenth called himself the sun king and forced all his like aristocrats to like move into Versailles <laughs> with him so he could like again surveil them he didn't want them out in the countryside plotting against him he wanted to kind of take away that power from them um and yeah mm-hmm. yeah um I can also like kind of read what um Valens says about the sun just to give you like a preview of the kinds of people that will come up um you know, when we look at um, our example charts. So what he says is in a nativity, the all seeing sun, nature's fire and intellectual light, the organ of mental perception indicates kingship, rule, intellect, intelligence, beauty, motion, loftiness of fortune, the ordinance of the gods, judgment, public reputation, action, authority over the masses, the father, the master, friendship, noble personages, honors consisting of pictures, statues, and garlands, high priesthoods, rule over one's country and over other places. Of the body parts, the sun rules the head, the sense of the sense organs, it rules the right eye. Of the trunk, it rules the heart. Of the spiritual faculties, the nerves. Of materials, it rules gold. Of fruits, it ru- rules wheat and barley. It is of the day sect, yellowish, bitter in taste. And it's funny because um, one thing I will note is that um, there's weirdly a lot of like performative or acting type things. And I know like I like to poo-poo the, you know, natural house um, associations, but I do feel like even with some of the example charts for some of the people, like I know we focus on certain elements of their legacy, but all of them are like, oh, like, even though I wasn't, like, uh, an actor, per se, or a performer, some of them, you know, got to direct, or some of them were in films, or some of them got, like, Academy Awards or Grammys and shit for, like, documentaries or um, 
spoken like work that they've done you know just shit like that and um i think like with the sun and the ability to project identity i do feel like there can be some like association with like that performative sort of nature you know what i mean so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i find I... that like for the actors there's like a the actors that have it or the performers that have it, like there's like a deification of them. So they're like legendary or considered legendary, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think performance, especially so much of modern performance is tied with visibility. Like what are we making visible? What are you not making visible? What are you making hyper visible? And then just like how that ties in with power too. Um, Yeah. I, I did notice that a lot with the chart examples. Um, I think in terms of just the other significations, um, long distance travel is another one. Like it often, again, it's in comparison with the third house being short distance travel, which we talked about in that episode. Um, Some of this is because of, you know, one, the moon does have like a short path around the earth um, versus the sun's like much longer path. And, you know, with both the sun and the moon gods, often you would see them depicted riding on chariots. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I think it's worth noting that in ancient times, long distance travel was dangerous and it really was only done for business, religion, diplomacy, study, and today it's a leisure activity and um, is now also associated because we are able to travel long distances um, faster and therefore more often. It also gets associated with multicultural interests, um, as well as foreign places and people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that um, a lot of us take for granted that, you know, travel is so convenient and safe now. Um, The long distance journey is just like, oh, this is like, at most, like a 24 hour, like, plane journey for a lot of people regardless of whether you're trying to go somewhere across the earth but you know up until like the the previous century it was pretty hard to like get places you had to be on a boat for like weeks or like before that you had to go on caravans across like large land masses you know what i mean so it was a very um big deal and required a lot of uh bravery um which is probably why like people who are well-traveled, especially in older times, I mean, this is still true now. Like there's something legendary about being able to go a lot of places and see a lot of things and people. Yeah. I don't know. And I think now too, it's also associated with privilege. Like you definitely need to have Mm -hmm. like the money and resources and time to be able to travel still. And Travel is safer now, but and I but I think it's very interesting what some of the drawbacks are to that because and it makes me think about these ninth house significations of um you know abstract thought and higher higher knowledge, higher belief and um and even just some of like the religion and faith aspects of the ninth house that I I, I, I it makes me think of um you know there 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 has been studies done on PTSD on why why is it that there's just much higher um, cases of it, you know, now, like in more modern times versus before. Some of that, of course, Mm -hmm. might be just reporting, but one of the studies um, theorizes that it's because 
of modern travel now just like how quick much quicker it is for it to travel because before when soldiers would go off to war and see just as many horrifying things as soldiers do today they would then you know travel either on foot on horse or on boat for months to get back home and they would be with other soldiers usually who were you know had just gone through the same thing and it's time to process it like internally as well as with other people whereas soldiers today it really is like one day you could be on a battlefield in Afghanistan and literally two days later be at a McDonald's in Houston and it's jarring for people and Yeah. yeah and I find that like really really interesting no for sure um but yeah, is oh wait, I want to read about um what Valen says about the ninth house really quick um before we just dive into our examples. So okay, so the ninth place, the place of God's son just before the midheaven. Um the ninth place from the ascendant, it has many configurations. If benefics happen to be in this place and have been assigned the ascendant of fortune, the native will be blessed, reverent, a prophet of the great God. In fact, he will be obeyed like a god. If benefics are not there and Mercury is alone in aspect, the native will be involved in soothsaying. He will expound his craft to the masses. He will become a royal clerk from his middle years. But if malefics are in conjunction and rule the previously mentioned places, the ascendant and fortune, or if they are in aspect from the right with the lot, the native will be a tyrant. He will found some cities. He will sack others. He will pillage many people most wickedly. If diamond or fortune happens to be in the ninth place, in the twelfth place of the bad diamond, but the house rulers of the lot and the ascendant are in this place of God, the native will be involved in many evils and travel and will lose whatever he has gained, or he will take refuge in temples because of his desires or pains. That's really interesting. So it kind of describes like, I guess what it's saying is that if you have malefics here, um, you become infamous, <laughs> which um, I don't think I have any chart, like overt chart examples that have that. Uh, I have, I don't think so. oh God, I had one that I didn't include, but um, maybe, maybe I'll pull it up, Mabel, maybe, but um, no, I don't think I had, like, out of the ones I listed, I don't think I have any explicit ones like that, but, <laughs> mm. yeah, but, um, yeah, I think before we, I think the only signification we didn't touch on before we jump into examples, just, just higher knowledge and education, like universities, post-grad studies, scholarly and physical, physical, philosophical pursuits do fall in this house and that, um, I think, again, it's it's to note that, you know, when these house significations were created in ancient times, knowledge, and actually really up until today, knowledge was passed down through religious institutions and teachers mm-hmm. and universities, again, still to this day, um, like, but especially before were created by religious institutions. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard people compare, you know, like, 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 pre pre um like like k to 12 education as well as pre-k would fall more under the third house whereas higher knowledge and education tends to go in the ninth um Mm -hmm. i generally agree with this but i just also have noticed like even k to 12 teachers i've noticed strong ninth house significations like and i think some of it it just kind of goes back again to just like 
teaching, like an abstract thought. Like to me, it just seems to. But again, I mean, I, I, I could also just think of like possible like exceptions to that. But it just seems like for like institutionalized education, like. I, mm. Yeah, I just I've just seen a lot of teachers, like even if they are K to twelve, with like a lot of ninth class placement. Yes, the people who are passing down the wisdom are very um, ninth house. Um, a lot of um, just like to preview examples, like obviously a lot of people who are um, performers, people who are pioneers in, um, you know, whether it's film, um, television art it's like people who have like cultural influence or relevance whether that's politically socially spiritually all have placements here it's kind of crazy yeah um, i'm i'm excited about these examples because i think they're all very good but is there anything else you wanted to say about the ninth house before we jump into them um uh, no i want to just jump into it great all right, so people with an area. Actually, before we jump in, I was telling Mo this as I was like preparing the notes that I'm surrounded by people who have the sun and its joy in the ninth house. My mom has this placement. My current partner has this placement. My husband, of, my ex husband of ten years, has this. Um, you know, if you all know my chart, like I have a very strong Leo sun and Leo placements. And I just feel like someone who has, who needs to be, who has to be around me all the time probably has to have a very strong sun. Um, but yeah, as I'm looking at these Aries suns with Leo ascendants, like this is my current partner, um, actually. But yeah, you like these are all your examples, Mo, so you should jump in to this. Oh my God. Okay, I will preface this by like, there were a bunch of um, prominent women who were born in like 1968 who have Aries sons. Some of them are Leo rising, like uh, Celine Dion and Ashley Judd. Um, obviously, you have people who are also born in this era, I think, where Saturn was probably in Aries or approaching Aries. So, like, there's something about that 1968-1969 cohort of Aries women who are just, like, powerhouses. I can't remember what's going on astrologically, but there's that. So I didn't include them here, but know that there is a long list of... Um, <laughs> you know, Leo rising, Aries sun people, especially like divas or women who are known for their singing. Um, but two of my examples are um, politicians. So Nancy Pelosi, mm -hmm. uh, current speaker of the house, um, first woman to lead either chamber of Congress, by the way. Um, she's one of these examples where she was actually born into a um, political family. And you'll see that with some of the chart examples, especially of politicians. Um, so she has that, but she was very influential in the passing of landmark legislature throughout her career. And she's always been politically outspoken, especially when it comes to foreign affairs. So as you know, like from one of her earlier years in Congress, she went on a mission with people to, I think, visit Taiwan or something. It was like a congressional visit to China. And like this was around the time when there was that whole Tiananmen Square incident, I think. So this was in the late 80s, early 90s. She like made a prominent like display i mean for better or worse she's very outspoken on her political beliefs so um there's that um al gore is another one he's an aries two son so on top of obviously being vice president and being known for his um activism in terms of promoting the climate he's actually heavily awarded so there was a stint in 2007 2008 where he was getting a lot of awards so 
you know, the documentary, The um, Inconvenient Truth, um, which he was the subject of, got an Academy Award. He got a Nobel Peace Prize in collaboration with a bunch of other climate activists that year as well. Um, what's funny is that um, when he was in undergraduate, he actually wanted to write novels and be an English major, but I think he switched to something more political. Um, so there is that. Um, and then finally, my last example that I want to share is Maya Angelou. I know that a lot of um, what people usually attribute to her like prolificness as a writer is her having, I think, Mercury conjunct exalted Venus, which does help. And it is in the eighth. But um, I do think that her awardedness does also speak to that exalted um, sun conjunct Jupiter as well in the second decan of Aries. So not only was she a prolific author and poet laureate, um, she actually um, actually got to do a lot of collaboration with like directors. So I know there was a time where she was appearing in things like Roots and she helped people direct some movies in the 80s. She actually was in some plays in her younger years, especially those that dealt with political subjects pertaining to Black people. Um, on top of that, there was a time where she was an administrator at a university in Ghana, and she has had a lot of ties to people in civil rights uh, movements and politics. So, um, yeah, she's a really good example. God, those are all good examples. And yes, I, I, I do think people sleep on the, this, this placement in Maya Angelou's chart. Her Mercury um, in Pisces. Um, conjunct Venus does get talked a lot about and it's especially around you know she had a really really um, tragic childhood that mm -hmm. left her mute for many years um, but I do think that sun and its joy like the fact that she has you know accomplished a lot and has gotten visible for many of these like really great things despite um like not even being able to like you know talk for many years in her childhood um mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, is very fascinating to me. Yeah, um, I think we can jump into Taurus examples. So I want to just talk about Barbara Hammer, who has Taurus three son conjunct Uranus. And she is considered to be a pioneer of queer cinema because a lot of her filmography has captured the struggles and concerns of both women and queer people. Um, and she's heavily awarded in intellectual circles. Um, and yeah, like, I just love that it's like that sun conjunct Uranus energy, especially like given the time that she was um, coming up in when, you know, like the time she was coming of age in when, um, what was Uranus doing? Was Uranus, I can't remember what Uranus was doing, but that time in the 60s and 70s where, you know, people were, I guess, shirking a lot of the cultural norms. Oh, I know what it was. It was Uranus in um, Virgo. So yeah, no, that was really interesting. Um, but I think your, I love how we both have Taurus three examples. Yeah, my <laughs> my example is Pope Pius IX, who I also use as an, as an example in our Taurus Deccans episode, because mm -hmm. he has his son again in Taurus Deccan three, and it's conjunct the Mercury retrograde. And he's considered the father of the modern papacy. And, you know, just for some context, right? Like, keep in mind that the 
Catholic Church up until this period, I think he was alive at around like the 1700s, was um, and still is extremely, extremely powerful. But the kind of powerful it was like during the Renaissance was like popes were leading battles and like growing beards and having illegitimate children. They were operating just like secular kings were in some ways. And but with the Protestant Reformation and the increase in secularism with the Enlightenment, um, you know, the, the, the church, the Catholic church was in some ways like losing some of that old influence that it used to have. And Pope, you know, as you're talking about Barbara Hammer being this, this kind of, this pioneer in queer cinema, um, Pope Pius IX is in some ways like a step back toward conservatism because he really mm-hmm. wanted to shift the church and the world back into this focus on the spiritual and away from the secular and he himself as a person was considered very charismatic, but also accessible. And he was also very, very excitable, they said, um, but could also be a bully. And I, I just think that just like really screams like a strong son, even though the son doesn't really have dignity in Taurus. And at the time, he was the longest serving pope. He ended up serving for 32 years. Nice. Um yeah um so we can jump into um gemini so haha yet another person born with the political golden spoon in his mouth jfk um (laughs) he's a gemini one son and um what's funny is that i love the associations with gemini or mercury in general with youth and he was the youngest elected president ever um something i will note as a side note is that i've noticed that there's this weird um subgroup i think it's mostly like either people who have like mercurial or mercury associated with the sun and joy sometimes like there's like themes around like maybe dying young so like mm-hmm. even like he was the youngest elected president and unfortunately he was assassinated but um it's funny because he is someone who was considered like witty and charming and that helped him win um in spite of like being catholic because i feel like people had i feel like people in the u.s do have issues with like catholicism low-key just because of a lot of oh, the protestant yeah. um not even Loki. <laughs> like so him he was like the first catholic president the youngest president um he actually served in both chambers of congress tying in some of that gemini one stuff especially because it rules his 11th house which does have to do with groups um and he won a pulitzer for his book on serving as a junior junior senator from massachusetts so um my second example is actually gwendolyn brooks who is a well-decorated poet um and i love her story because a lot of it highlights the um you know the mundane struggles in her community and the intersection of being both black and a woman especially and like growing up in the inner city especially during a time when um the northern or like parts of the u.s were starting to integrate specifically um So, you know, she's not like one of these examples who was like born into a political family. And it's because of her talking about like the mundane that there was like this recognition of um, how those formative years of struggling with like, you know, not fitting into white society, but also just seeing like the struggles as like a woman as well have been highlighted in her work. And she was actually the first black woman to win a Pulitzer in 1950, which is a big deal because like this was like before a lot of places were forced to 
get rid of Jim Crow in the South. And this is well before, you know, all of the civil rights stuff was passed in government. So it's a big deal. Um, Yeah. She's also heavily awarded as well in general. So I, so nearly all of our examples are people who are heavily awarded, often people who are the first, you know, like some kind of pioneer of some sort to win this award. But I am screaming that all of the Gemini Sun examples we came we came up with have Pulitzer Prizes. Yeah, <laughs> they all Pulitzers. My example is Roger Ebert, who is um, (laughs) most famous for being a film critic, and he won the first Pulitzer Prize ever for criticism. (laughs) And he has his son in Gemini 3, which I think, again, it's very loud as someone who's a film critic who, you know, when he used to have his TV show with Siskel, they coined the two thumbs up or two thumbs down phrase, where basically both of them would make a call on whether they thought the film was a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Down, um, which I, I think is just so loudly Gemini in the third decan. Um, and but you know, on top of um, being a film critic, he also really promoted, you know, when he thought like a film, but especially a foreign or independent film was really good, like he would heavily promote it. And so I think that's also Sun in the ninth house promoting foreign films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so yeah, like it's funny that all of our Gemini people are Pulitzers. Like I didn't even notice that. I was like, <laughs> I just noticed it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so we can hop into the Cancer examples, and I have um, Robin Williams, uh, who is a Cancer three son. I mean, it's funny because he was someone who did more stand up comedy at first, but then. Um, when he moved into actually being in films in the 80s, he was in a lot of like acclaimed films. So a lot of movies like The Fisher King or Dead Poet Society, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, But then he was also in lots of films that did well at the box office that were like commercially successful and not necessarily like, um, you know, the Grammy type. So like, Everybody knows Hook. Everybody knows Aladdin, this Doubtfire. <laughs> um, you know, Goodwill Hunting, just all those like fun movies. So he had like good range. And so he no- got nominated for a lot of Academy Awards and he actually won Best Supporting Actor for Goodwill Hunting. He also got some primetime Emmy Awards, Golden Globes, and SAG Awards. So yeah, he was heavily awarded. He even has Grammys, guys. Like, Come on. But like, what's interesting is I feel like with the cancer three piece, because it's like the perils of, you know, excess, like in spite of being um, someone who was heavily awarded and beloved, I think like, like he did end up taking his life. Um, I think like part of that was what didn't he receive a um, like a like a diagnosis of like Parkinson's or something? Oh, I don't know that. I th- He like got like a or he got, yeah, I think he, like, yeah, he, he got diagnosed with, like, um, Parkinson, like, early stage Parkinson's. Um, like, yes, he struggled with addiction throughout parts of his life as well. Um, so there's that. But um, he did end up taking his life um, because mm-hmm. he didn't want to go through the issues of, um, you know, dealing with Parkinson's disease. Obviously, like, I think he had a version which also came with, like, symptoms of dementia as well. Um, which, um, 
doesn't help. So it's just like kind of one of those examples of, you know, just because everybody has like, you know, things around them doesn't mean that their life is like perfect, mm-hmm. which I feel like, especially in cancer three, that does come up sometimes. Um, yeah. Good point about the cancer three. Um, my examples are the first one's Helen Keller. So she has her son cancer one conjoined to Venus and you know, she was at a really, really young age, became blind and deaf, and she became the first deaf person to get a bachelor in arts. And she was also, you know, an, um, a, a founding member of the ACLU alongside um, a lot of other famous and prominent people who really cared about civil rights. And she was like, again, like many of our examples, she was a very prolific author. She wrote 14 books and um, I'm sure, you know, had won awards as well. So that's one example. And then my second sample example is just quick. I thought that this one was just kind of really funny. But Lana Del Rey has her son also in Cancer One um, and also has Mercury and Mars. Um, some of you might remember some of the debate over Lana Del Rey's sun sign, but I guess um, her time does confirm that she's like at like zero degrees Cancer. Yeah. Um, she's but like, I- y'all thought I was a Gemini? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I still remember. <laughs> But, okay, her literal stage name is just hilariously, like, sun and its joy. Like, Lana Del Rey. I mean, it's like Lana of Kings. <laughs> um, yeah. And her, you know, her most famous song to this day is Summertime Sadness, which, again, like, I think just really fits, like, a water sun sign. But those are my cancer sun examples. Do you want to share your Leo example first? Yeah, my I have one Leo example, and it's Coco Chanel. Um, and, She's a Leo. You know, Coco, um, yeah, I, I didn't know, know that. Oh my yeah, God. Coco Coco Chanel know. has Sun in um, Leo Deccan three with Venus co present, not in the same Deccan, I think, but. You know, Coco Chanel collaborated with Nazis. There's no sugarcoating that <laughs> during the occupation of France. And but Winston Churchill intervened in her prosecution, which, again, it's very, very ninth house, like having, um, you know, like a world leader um, stop you from going to prison for treason. <laughs> um but, you know, in terms of she's obviously most famous for fashion, she had that for a brand that still exists to this day, a luxury brand. And yeah, she, um, she's one of the d- designers at the time who ended corseted female fashion. And, um, you know, things like the little black dress that still exists to this day are credited to her. I okay. One hilarious thing is that one of the influences for her um, women's fashion design was horse culture, <laughs> like the the clothes that people wear, I guess, when they ride horses. And she's a Sag ascendant, right, with Leo in that ninth or that Leo sun in the ninth house. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so my two examples are very different from each other. So again, <laughs> I have this like Leo three sun conjunct Mercury person, Roberto Clemente legendary fucking MLB player. Um, unfortunately, he died young, um, ironically doing, because um, what he did, so he was from the Caribbean and he um, would go back home and um, and to other parts of the Caribbean and send food and um, baseball equipment to, you know, so, you know, so young people could, 
you know, play the sport. And he actually died in a plane crash on the way um, to do some of that work. But um, because he was so heavily awarded and was MVP so many years, even though he was young um, or he was too young to be considered um, part of the MLB Hall of Fame, they actually changed the rules so he could be inducted just because he was that good. Um, So my other example is Wes Craven, who's a Leo one son, which is like close to it's like in the same decade as his Pluto Venus conjunction in the ninth and he is considered an important figure in the horror genre films so he's produced a lot of movies that we all know so like the nightmare on elm street franchise um the hills have eyes the people under the stairs etc um also red eye and he's received a lot of um awards for that i think it's funny that like he's got those placements in the saturn decan of leo i was and he's just gotten, gonna like, say that i think it's so fitting <laughs> and he got nominated for a saturn award <laughs> <laughs> which is like an important award for like people in like that horror science fiction um genre so <laughs> also what i wanted to say about roberto clemente um there's actually an award um named in his honor posthumously so yeah wow. um no i've I've never heard of him before and it's like really cool to hear that especially now we we live in a world where the mlb is so full of players from the caribbean and Mm -hmm. i think that he was like the first one is um crazy to think about because there's just so many now um you know on west craven yeah i i i was thinking about how t susan chang talks about that deccan um with that saturn and the sun being like a pressure cooker or like a greenhouse and i think about how good horror is that right like you're kind of building that like pressure Mm -hmm. and that tension constantly you're like you want to keep people at the edge right until it just like some pop out moment happens and that that is i hate horror but that that is um the marker of good horror but i I do see that in his films in particular yeah um and with that we can hop into the virgo examples and these are all your examples but i could hop in as well i mean because you you came up with so many good ones so there were lots more like i think joan jett was actually one as well that i was like there are too many of you on this fucking list so like just know there are other ones so if i don't mention them don't freak out but um i'm gonna go with sean connery first uh what's funny is that i think richard Gere also has like a similar configuration but i think his is virgo too but his is, um, I don't think he's conjunct Neptune. I can't remember, but like he was born in that generation where they have like the outers doing weird shit in Virgo. But anyway, like I think of how the quintessential like leading man in a film usually has like tropical Virgo placements. Mm-hmm. But like it's funny that two men like Richard Gere and Sean Connery, I think Richard Gere was in more like rom coms, but like Sean Connery is like the quintessential James Bond. He's like the person you think of when you think of James Bond because he was the first one. Also, he's actually Scottish like James Bond is supposed to be. Uh (laughs) And I I, I like both of those examples because they're also examples of men who, and I think this is like, especially with the Capricorn Ascendant, they're considered mm-hmm. to be like they're, they're they're looking better and better as they get older like Richard yes. Gere is known for being the silver fox and I remember yes. like in the 2000s still like my first boyfriend's mom's like celebrity crush was still Sean Connery <laughs> yeah but like I think it's funny because um even though he's he went to like 
playing a bunch of other movies that are pretty like well received like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is one of them um Hill um The Untouchables like you know just stuff like that like he's just known as being Bond like when you think of James Bond you think of Sean Connery and like oh yeah it's, and people it's just constantly so funny. compare well oh like people will always compare any new James Bond to him. Like to he's him. like the gold standard James Bond. He's literally the fucking gold standard. It's like, and it's funny because when you think of Virgo, you're like thinking of the standard, the benchmark, like trying to, you know, refine and be perfect, right? But it's funny because like he's got an Academy Awards, he's got BAFTAs, he's got Golden Globes. I mean, he even received like a Kennedy Center Honors Award in the 90s he also got knighted as well so there is that um let's see who else is on here sophia loren literally like a sex symbol icon her filmography is another one who's known for like getting better with age Mm -hmm. right (laughs) yeah i thought it was funny and i didn't realize how long her filmography was she at least had like there were some years like in the 60s where it was like this woman is in like six films like this is crazy like she's just acting so much like after her contract with paramount ended she like decided to do other projects and like blew up internationally so um another one i have on here is buddy holly and again this is this mercurial person though who like ended up dying young unfortunately but like again he's considered a pioneer of rock and roll so you know how um the typical lineup of instrumentals is you'll have like a leading guitar, a second guitar, a bass and drums. It was him and him, like his group or style that pioneered that setup that influenced a lot of performers today. Um, A lot of people actually wrote songs in his memory because he died young in a plane crash and he had a bunch of unreleased tracks or whatever that um, went on to be really popularized like right after his death. He was also one of the first people inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, what else did I want to say? Um, There's something else about him that was important. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, so the group that he was in before that he broke up with right before, like he was about to like blow up as a solo artist, you know, before his untimely passing, um, was called the Crickets. And I think the Beatles got to meet him at some point when they were doing, cause they had a world tour that they were on. And the Beatles actually like named their group in honor of the group he was in. So I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, and then finally, my last example is Harry, the Duke of Sussex, who has that Virgo three um, son, but he also has Mercury co-present. And it's funny because I think about how when he was little, his mom nicknamed him Good King Harry, right? um because he's got that like kingly energy and i find that like him having the virgo 3 stellium sorry son is kind of symbolic of his decision to like leave behind his like you know role in the monarchy as a working royal to start like to focus on his endeavors in promoting mental health especially for veterans and his whole nonprofit archwell deals with um media projects and storytelling especially about those um maybe those things in life that we tend to not talk about so like the things we go through that we don't talk about and so i think it's interesting how you know he's in this phase of his life where he's focusing on developing this like nonprofit company that will fund or produce like these sort of important media projects and i know that 
he and Megan have a lot of them that are slated to come out over the next couple of years. So that'll be interesting to watch, especially once the nodes get to Virgo Pisces. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good point. Um, I think you also have all the Libra sun examples, but again, I could chime in as well. Um, So I love that Andre Barbeau. So I feel like a lot of us are just now hearing his name, especially because they're uncovered. Someone uncovered his text or translated them into English and realized that, hey, he kind of predicted the pandemic. And I thought it was interesting that he passed in 2019, right before it popped off. But something mm-hmm. that I that struck me when I looked at his chart is that he is a Libra one solar eclipse. Oh. And what's funny is that the eclipse where I think it was this Capricorn eclipse that would have been squaring that in his chart that was conjunct Jupiter and Capricorn was when like COVID was really popping off in China before it, um, you know, before it started spreading to the rest of the world. And I don't know, I feel like that's a weird like legacy of his um, like prediction. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. it it weirdly ties in with like his ability to predict these sort of um, mundane cycles. And I think it's funny that he was like a very prolific um, astrological writer and was really revered, especially within astrological um, circles within the French speaking world, especially. Um, and I think it's interesting that um, now we're coming up to a time that would map on to what would be, I think, is nodal reversal, actually. And we're at that point in the Barbeau Index, as it's dubbed, um, where he's really exploring, you know, these elements of mundane astrology, like in a systematic way. And I love the Libra one where it's like, oh, I noticed that something is off kilter. Do I say something or not? And he's someone who said something, but like. I feel like with the depressed sun, especially because it's eclipsed, like people realizing it too late. But I feel like now with the way that those Capricorn transits were hitting his luminaries and now that we're coming to a phase where we're going to start having those Libra Aries eclipses, I can't help but wonder if like people highlighting and exploring his work more um, will map on to... Um, you know, using his techniques and methods to uncover like other patterns that maybe he was onto, but like, you know, again, during his life, like other people were kind of not paying attention to. So, yeah. And I I think, think you know, his, his um, focus on mundane astrology, um, you know, him being in the eyes, you know, so much of astrology is like, like today is so like US centered. So he's seen, you know, as this like foreign astrologer, even though, you know, he did have, does have prominence in the French speaking world. But yeah, the focus on that and then just the mundane astrology, just, it's very like ninth house sun to me. And I, I have an astrologer as another example for another sign that we can get into then, but it is funny that we do have two astrologers as examples. I don't think we've done that with any previous example episodes before. Okay. One that I thought was a really good example was evil Knievel. <laughs> it's so Libra three. Cause you know how like Libra three ha- involves like, there are a lot of metaphors for that Deccan that tie well with like, dynamics like mechanical dynamics and like physics and stuff and you think about like how he's known as like a stunt man and it's like okay the sun which has to do with like you know yourself is like in its fall and it's like you're literally putting yourself in danger on purpose 
right? And you're performing deadly stunts. And it's a it's a Deccan that's co-ruled by Mercury. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he's known for these like crazy stunts, especially involving like vehicles and stuff. So I thought that was um, pretty uh, literal. And then finally, <laughs> we have F. Scott Fitzgerald. So um, who's like, known for being, you know, a novelist, essayist, and short story writer. And, um, like, he wasn't born into, like, a super political family, but, like, at the time, he was born into, like, you know, uh, a middle-class family. But, again, it's, like, because of that depressed son, it's, like, the not-right kind of rich. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, through his um, writing and work, the most notable of these, which is The Great Gatsby, um, which... It's funny because even though it was like well reviewed during his lifetime, it wasn't like a commercial success. Mm-hmm. But like now it's like this um the quintessential like American novel. Yes. Right? And I think a lot of that describes his um what's it called? A lot of it describes his um experiences trying to um assimilate into you know the cultural elite because while he you know had access to them he was not the right kind of rich right and i think Mm -hmm. him writing about that experience indirectly is what made it so um made it so compelling um unfortunately during his life um because towards the end of the life his life there was the great depression again a lot of people couldn't really connect with his um work and then you know he tried to capitalize on his success as a literary figure and translate that to screenwriting it didn't work out for him so it's interesting how like i think of the great gatsby movie um where um leonardo dicaprio you know played that gatsby figure and like you know with the stunning visuals and i love how son and joy in the ninth um Lana Del Rey, you know, wrote the song Young and Beautiful that was paired with that film, which is like a funny, like, you know, full circle moment. Um, It's just funny how like, it's a classic you read, and it's like, depicts certain elements of like, what we aspire to, especially in American culture. Like, it's just funny that that's how his life turned out, but posthumously, like, his book and like his writing and the things that he wrote about are like really compelling to people. Yeah. Um, Plenty of examples of people with posthumous success and, you know, for F Scott Fitzgerald in particular, I think even like the great Gatsby itself has so many themes that I think are very, very solar, like, um, but specifically Libra sun, like this sun and fall, um, like, I think it's, um, you know, even just the fact that the book is narrated by a character that we actually end up learning very, very little about, like, that's something that you don't see too much in books, like the narrator tends to be either like, like, in, if it's first person point of view, um, which in this case, it is that person's like the main character. Um, so yeah, I think it's like, really, really interesting. to me. <laughs> You know what? I think it's funny because like we're going to dip into the Scorpio examples and I think this is a good um, segue because I think this was his daughter. So I wrote son, but this is actually his daughter. So this is another example of parents and children having the same planetary joys. So Scotty Fitzgerald, daughter of F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, is a son in joy in Scorpio in the um, ninth. 
And so she's actually a journalist and writer who's worked for the Washington Post, the New Yorker, and some other um, journals. And she was a really prominent member of the um, Democratic Party. Um, I just thought it was interesting that um, during the, like she became really active in the uh, Democratic Party in um, Alabama, um, which um, got her an award like locally. So she was considered like a very prominent figure in Alabama particularly for the democratic movement there. And um, what's funny is that um, there was a point in her life where she um, moved away from Washington, DC, because that's where she had been living for a while, just due to her journalistic work um, during the Watergate scandal. And she was like, I feel like it speaks to her Scorpio placements, like just wanting to get away from like the corruption there and being really put off by it. So I thought that was really funny. Oh God, um, and then she went to Alabama. <laughs> I know, right? Like of all places, <laughs> the fuck. I, I I laugh just because my my current my my job as communications director. We have an office in Alabama, and one of my coworkers is a former um, state legislator for Alabama, and we constantly talk about how Alabama is on the bottom of, of the list as far as like government transparency and accountability. Um, mm. So yeah, that like I'm I'm not surprised that she also rose to prominence like in the Democratic Party there because there was just uh, and there continues to be. Uh, a lot of work yeah. there that Democrats need to do. Uh, yeah, no. Another thing that I noted was that a, a key part of her biography was like maybe complexes around study because she does have a Scorpio one son. And like part of the issue with her dad was like he went to like a prestigious school, but like didn't do well academically. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she um, had this whole complex around like, um, doing well and like I think he pressured her to like do well because he's like oh I like had this chance and I blew it like don't blow it so he was constantly pressuring her to do well which is comical and like you know she attended all these prestigious schools and moved around the world so I thought that was really interesting especially because of the associations between the son and father yeah all right um my next example is an example we have used often already. It's Demi Moore. Um, she has Sun in Scorpio 2, and she also has Venus retrograde, Neptune, and Mercury in Scorpio. And she was also our example for Moon in its joy and Mars in its joy. And she will be an example for our future Saturn episode because this woman has four planets in their joy. And, you know, I, I, I know I talked in previous in the previous Moon and Mars episodes about, um, her, you know, her being highly successful. She um, was, you know, one of the top paid actresses at some point, like had, um, you know, fairly good movies as well as some that bomb, but mostly, you know, a, a considered successful actress. Um, I wanted to also just point out the fact that this sun and its joy rules her sixth house because she's a Pisces mm -hmm. rising. But it stood out to me as I was reading her biography that when she was still married to Bruce Willis and then they got a divorce, she was blaming one of the ends of her marriage to um, Bruce Willis on the fact that like they're constantly surrounded by staff and that she was like, yeah, like we have, we, we've hired, like we're constantly surrounded by lawyers, handlers, nannies, bodyguards, cooks, like trainers, makeup artists, hairdressers, personal assistants. And in some ways, like I'm sure that's like not too different than other famous people, 
But, you know, with her, that son ruling her sixth house, like, it did kind of really um, stand out to me that that was, like, something, like, it's not every day that you see someone, like, highlight just, like, how many, like, workers <laughs> you have as a Hollywood person. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, no, she, I, I think she's a pretty good example of um, son in the ninth house. And then nice. my other examples, just real quick, um, Allison Janney is an actress who's got, like, also heavily awarded for her role as the press secretary in West Wing. Um, and so even though she didn't play the president, I mean, she, she had a very significant recurring role that got her many awards. And it's, I think, still like one of them. I mean, it's a very, it, I know the show is like long, it, like it was running for a really long time and was the show itself also heavily awarded. Yeah, I mean, with that, we can jump into Sag Sun examples. And my example is Philip K. Dick, who has his Sag 3 Sun conjunct both Mercury and Saturn. And it's funny because this is a Saturn um, Sun ruled Deccan. Um, he is an acclaimed sci fi writer, and he actually wrote a lot of books that were adapted into films, um, the most notable of which is Blade Runner. Um, but there were others like Total Recall, which had like two, um, you know, adaptations, The Minority Report, A Scanner Darkly, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what's funny is that like, how do I put this? It's like he had a lot of his work inspired by like drug abuse and like mystical experiences um, questioning, you know, like the nature of reality. So I think of like that Saturn being in it's not out of sect but it's like a malefic in the um in the ninth and so some of his um themes involve like people struggling with like you know alternate reality um the influence of corporations and like dealing with authoritarianism and like governments like and i feel like some of his work can even be like vaguely dystopian right Mm -hmm. so interesting what is he like he's considered like a master of paranoid fiction you know so Mm -hmm. i thought that was pretty funny that's a good one um my first example for sag sun and it's joyce bet midler who has her son also in sag two with mercury retrograde co-present and she is a, another very, very heavily awarded performer. She's only one award short of getting an EGOT. I think we have a few people on our list, actually, who either have it, have all four of those awards or like one short of it. But she she got famous um, from um, performing at gay bathhouses in 1970, which um you know that sun rules like as an Aries ascendant her son rules her fifth house so I think that tracks and um yeah I mean again just like a very 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 um heavily awarded performer um fun fact she she's from or she, she grew up mostly in Hawaii she had a dad in the military and I think she studied theater I believe it, at the University of Hawaii so. mm. And then my other example is Ada Lovelace, who is another one who, I mean, she was known during her time, but it is very interesting to see what she's gotten recognized for posthumously, but especially in the past, like, 
um, couple decades or so, but she is the only legitimate child of Lord Byron. Um, I want to note that she does have a B-rated time, but it's based off of a biography or an autobiography. Um, I'm going to take it. Like, I do think it tracks that she's the only legitimate child of a baron um, when he had, I think, something like nine other children. Oh she's the only one who was considered legitimate. She was the, he, he was married to her mom when she was born, but then I think they divorced when she was like two. She was really, really young. And then he died or she well, he died when she was eight. Anyway, she's now I mean, she was she. Her mom wanted her to really, really focus on math and the sciences because her mom just hated Lord Byron so much that she wanted her daughter to be nothing like him. You know, he's a he's a poet and a writer. So she was like, study, study math and sciences. And um, she, um, you know, well, first it didn't her her mom's plan backfired like her daughter actually really revered her father who she barely knew um like i think her both of her children she, or two of her children she ended up naming after lord byron <laughs> um but which again i think that's just that really strong son and it's joy um that tracks but um nowadays she's like really known for I and mean, she's credited for being the first computer programmer because she um, co-invented a computer with um, Charles Babbage, I think is the name of the um, inventor or the guy who technically has his name on this patent. But when he, when they invented the computer, it was Ada who was like, wait, I think this computer can be given algorithms and so it could do other things. And yeah, and so she came up with an algorithm and is the first computer programmer. And um, the U.S. Department of Defense named the computer language after her. Like, um, I've just seen her name just pop up. Like, there's a liquor. I was randomly at a liquor store and someone named like a rum after her. Like, very interesting posthumous like recognition. Yeah. Um, so I think we can hop to the Capricorn and. Um, examples so um martin luther king jr um is a cap three son conjunct them in heaven and of course he's a major civil rights leader mainly known for his effective prose speech writing and like just even his writing of like memoirs and the promoting of um civil disobedience uh i think it's also funny that he was he himself was a clergyman along like his father just because the son rules the fourth and it's funny how he like followed in the footsteps of his father. And I think there was like a key um, moment in his journey towards that, where I think he was born, his name when he was born was Michael, but like, as he like, he went through that name change thing where he became Martin Luther, just like his dad, like it was a weird, like ritualistic thing he went through. So I thought that was kind of symbolic. Um, and then my other example is Jim Wright, who was um, Speaker of the House. So yet another Speaker of the House um, with his placement. Um, he was one of the Southern Democrats who did support some of the civil rights legislature. And I think one of the ones he didn't support was like, it doesn't go far enough to guarantee a right to vote. So like, I'm not voting for this. And he was against some of the um, segregationist um, manifestos that other Southern Democrats of the time were putting out. 
Um, he was also a distinguished pilot during World War II. I thought it was funny that um, because he's got that Cap One son ruling the fourth, his dad was a traveling salesman, like quite literally. So that that's literal. Um, and I thought it was ironic that both he and um, MLK both have um, sons rejoicing in Capricorn in the ninth. And he was one of the um, Congress people to lead the push to make MLK Day a federal holiday. Wow. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, my Cap example is Issa Rae. So she has Capricorn Sun um, in the third decan, conjoined to both Jupiter and her midheaven. And she also has Mercury and Neptune in Cap. So I think it's interesting that, you know, in both um, the character, so she plays a character very, very clearly closely based on herself in Awkward Black Girl, which has her YouTube series, and Insecure, which um, ended up becoming an extremely um, highly acclaimed HBO series. I mean, her character in Insecure is named Issa. It's Issa D, and she's Issa Rae. <laughs> but I um, think in both, both of those um, shows, one of the things she's known for doing is like she'll talk to herself in the mirror and often will like rap to herself and that's this um you know kind of like a form of like inner monologue that she shows which i think is like a very interesting manifestation of that sun um yep those are my that's my cap example nice okay we'll go to aquarius um i'm just going to do the okay i actually have two that i want to do so one of them is yet another speaker of the house, um, Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> who's an Aquarius one son. Um, so he's one of those people with the floating midheaven situation. And um, I believe his IC is in um, Leo. So that does say things about like family and stuff. And I think it's funny because he's actually the first Republican in his family. Like everyone else in his family is a Democrat. Um in California, no less. Um, and um, so, like, I feel like that speaks to the first decan. And I think if you look at his, um, a lot of his, like, voting record, especially in recent history, as he's been Speaker of the House, because obviously he inherited the Speaker role when um, Obama was still president. And um, a lot of his voting record is about, like, literally just being in opposition to things. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's like really literal. Um, then we have Buzz Aldrin, who um, is an Aquarius one conjunct Mercury. Um, so it's like his chart ruler. And I think it's funny because he was one of the pilots of the three um, Gemini mission spacewalks. So that's like a funny like thing, like a funny coincidence. Um, he's one of the first men to walk on the moon along with Neil Armstrong. Uh, he was the first one to go to space who actually had a doctorate degree. Um, because he had like a PhD in astronautics and he was a recipient of the medal of freedom in 1969 amongst a bunch of other awards. So, yeah. Oh, um, my Aquarius example is an, another astrologer. This is Ebenezer Sibley who, you know, for the astrologers listening, um, you might recognize his last name because he's most famous for the U.S. Sibley chart, which is, uh, you know, it has some controversy around whether this is really the right chart to use for the United States. But 
he has his son in Aquarius 3, conjoined to Uranus, Mercury retrograde, and Venus. And he has his midheaven in Aquarius. So he's got this, like, not just a stellium, but they're all pretty closely conjoined to each other, all in Aquarius. But he was a British astrologer, again, behind the U.S. Sibley chart. And um, But aside from that, the thing that he was kind of most known for was... Um, was doing horoscopes for royal the royalty, which again, mm. astrologer doing horoscopes for royalty, very, very ninth house. Um, a not so good thing about him is he he had some very wrong theories around um, you know, the human race and race mm. in general, and just thinking that like white people were like the first um peoples to be around and that mm. um you know, just some fucked up stuff that I probably won't repeat, actually. I'm not going to go into yeah. it. But yeah, just some of the typical racist, like, almost, like, eugenicist stuff from that time period. Yeah, I will say that there were some problematic people that came up as, um, what's it called? Sun and joy people. So I know that, um, I don't remember what sign it's in. It's in one of the air signs, but Jeffrey Dahmer was a ninth house son. And I feel like, you know, the disgusting like profit off of his portrayal that Netflix is doing right now is um, really bothering me because it also speaks to how like, you know, like people with sun in the ninth tend to be like mythologized for better or worse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Wait, is it? Oh, it's in Gemini. Yeah, he's got the sun and joy in Gemini. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like the whole thing kind of bothers me a bit because it's like people really suffered like at the expense of like his actions. And like people are sitting here like being like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I feel so bad for him just because like their favorite like actors like playing him you know what i mean like it's just like it's insane i refuse to watch it i think it's disgusting (laughs) didn't the show come i feel like the show came out when mars went into gemini which is like comical because like he is a gemini son so i'm like really guys really like fucking really come on i don't know yeah the whole thing makes me mad but i was like yeah so like I had a, I know, I had another example too, who I also can't remember. Like, I didn't ended up not writing it down or using it, but there was definitely a Nazi who, um, yeah, who that had wouldn't surprise son. me. That wouldn't huh? surprise me, like at yeah. all. That does not yeah. surprise me. <laughs> anyway, um, last but not least, Pisces Sun examples. You want to go first? So, um, Anthony Burgess, he was a Pisces one, conjunct Mars, and that's loud. Um, sun. It's funny because he is a literary critic. Um, well, he was a comic writer mostly, but he was a like literary critic as well. Um, and his best worth, wor- ah, his best known novel is A Clockwork Orange. Um, again, which is a classic they make you read sometimes at some schools, which is annoying. Um, and it was adapted into a film by Stanley Kubrick, which I feel ties that like Mars ruling the fifth piece. Um, it's funny because he also was a music composer. Um, mm. I had no idea. <laughs> but he was more successful as an author and a um, literary critic. So I thought it was interesting. Um, I think he also was a lecturer in phonetics and he translated some um, 
opera pieces and classical um, opera pieces as well. So there was that. Um, and then I have Vanessa Williams, who has Sun conjunct Jupiter and Pisces in the third decan. And while she was the first Black Miss America, I think of that last decan of Pisces as having that imagery of debauchery, right? Sometimes and like excessive like pleasure. And I think it's ironic that she was stripped of her title as um, Miss America because of nude images that someone had leaked of her. I mean, eventually uh, the Miss Universe um, institution did apologize to her, but regardless, she was a heavily nominated actress and singer, and she's like a stunning like model. So there is that. I yeah, I I think things worked out for her again. That sun and its joy, because I'm, I'm sure that was a really really rough time for her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she is by far the most famous Miss America ever. I don't think anyone could even name any other no. Miss America winners other than no. Vanessa Williams. No, it's when not, you, you know, her, like, yeah, I only think I think most people don't even realize So there's a difference between Miss USA versus Miss America and Miss America has been on the decline. Like, and I don't even know if it airs anymore on like broadcast. I television. think it, I think it does. But like, I don't know, ever since the panty hit, like no one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one cares. Um, but anyway, yeah, good for Vanessa Williams for, right. you know, really coming out as, again, like a, re- a really, really accomplished singer and actress. Um, last but not least, so my example is Albert Einstein. So he has his son in Pisces um, in the ninth and obviously really known for his theory of relativity, which laid the groundwork for 20th century physics for structuring Mm -hmm. the cosmos just like every just really kind of just like flip the field on its head and it's you know he was considered a scientific celebrity like he was already well known and famous while he was still alive um I was reading a lot about, um, you know, he wasn't, you know, as they were forming the state of Israel, I was just reading a lot about just like his own conflicts with it. Like he didn't believe in um, forming a whole state and thought that, um, you know, like Jews who were moving to the Middle East could live side by side um, rather than like in a separate state as um, the Arab community that was already living there. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Israel, the Israeli state got formed anyway, and they tried to like award him um, some kind of award, even though he had no involvement in the formation of that state. And he was extremely conflicted by it. And he ended up not accepting it. And he wrote that on one hand, he was film, he was very moved that he had got nominated as someone who is Jewish. But on the other hand was like, I can't, I'm also really sad. I can't accept this. Like I'm not going to. Um, yeah. And yeah, of course, won a Nobel prize for theoretical physics and um, also was known for his political views. He, um, you know, mostly considered him a socialist actually has like a really good essay that people should read. Um, that's called on socialism. Um and um, and then, yeah, also had like really interesting reviews around like religion as well, even though, you know, he was a Jewish and identified as Jewish also um, didn't yeah. think uh, didn't believe in like a personal God like that, that God was actually like really kind of actively influencing like each and every one of our individual lives. I wanted to comment on um, on uh, Einstein, because I think he also had commentary about like racial inequality in the U.S. as well. So mm-hmm. like that's an interesting thing to note. And like he's just like the quintessential like genius. Um and 
intellect, right? Like when you think of a scientist or you think of someone who's really smart, um, even though he wasn't like, you know, the strongest like student, like in terms of like performance when it comes to like how he used his mind, I think a lot of people like think of him in that way. So he's like a legend in that way. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that wraps up our examples. Is there anything, any final words you have about the sun and its joy? Well, the sun and its joy, like, I mean, talk about God's freaking favorite. I mean, <laughs> I will say that for the Libra suns, it felt like there was a lot of, like, a lot more, like, difficulty in getting, like, immediate recognition for those ideas and contributions, but... um. There's a lot of posthumous like cultural zeitgeist influence that you know their views had. It's just like maybe they could have gotten a little more spotlight when um, they were alive. So yeah, um, and then just a lot of like I thought it was funny how like there were no like um, like monarchs or presidents like at least to our knowledge that had like these placements it was always people who were okay well obviously jfk was the only one but like yeah. he was one who someone who was like okay i served in both arms of congress and like this that and the third like but it, it was mostly just like people who were very prominent in like legislating and i think that speaks to um the role that the ninth house plays in law you know, the people mm -hmm. who are writing the laws. Because it's like, yeah, the president is the figurehead. They just sign yep. the fucking laws. They don't write them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. And it does make me excited about the Jupiter episode. I'm very interested to see which examples we come up with. Because you you know the charts of royals more than I do. Especially British royalty. But I, 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 I just off the top of my head, I just feel like there's like a lot of 11th house stuff going on so i'm like curious weird, to see. 11th house 12th house like fourth house shit going on with those people it's weird yeah. um and, and a lot of that you know because royalty is inherited right like yeah so, um, it's more inherited rather than like yeah but off the top of my head 11th house people i can think of like maybe some like some political figures like i can think of a few like I'm thinking of a Jupiter and Cancer example for some reason. Oh man, is, is George W. Bush one of those? Because I know he's one like Demi Moore where he's several examples. No, he's a Saturn. Of... He's a Saturn and Joy person. Okay. <laughs> oh, the Saturn episode will be so good because I already have a Aww, list of examples. Me too. I've like... <laughs> some oh, interesting, man. problematic, maybe problematic <laughs> faith people. Um <laughs> Yeah, yes. but no, I'm gonna have to do some research on Jupiter. And I'm really excited to round out the rest of the joys. And I think after this, we're gonna cover like the houses that don't have joys in yes. them. Yes, I'm excited. Um, thanks, Mo, for recording this yet again. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Yeah, see you guys. <laughs> Bye.